kids ask uncomfortable questions. Rather than shushing them or giving them a quick answer, our guest today says it's an opportunity for us to reparent ourselves. Stay tuned after these messages. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. I am your co-host, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. We appreciate you, listeners. We appreciate you supporting our sponsors as well. Want to stay up to date on the latest news and research about boys? Subscribe to Building Boys Bulletin. It's a weekly newsletter that contains inspiration and encouragement, as well as links to and highlights of relevant articles, videos, and podcasts. I comb through the news so you don't have to. Get Building Boys Bulletin delivered directly to your inbox each Monday for $5.99 a month or $60 a year. To subscribe, go to buildingboys.net, enter your email, and click the red check mark. You'll be taken directly to the subscription page. Subscribe today so you don't miss Building Boys Bulletin. Jen and I both want you to have current, up-to-date information about your own boy and boys in general. And Building Boys Bulletin does just that. Next Gen Men, you've probably heard us talk about this before. Maybe you heard our interview with Jake and Jonathan. They are doing great work working directly with boys, and they also have a course for you so that you can be up to date on the latest. I've taken the course. I learned some new words and some new ways of thinking nextgenmen.ca is going to teach you, they will remind you, they will encourage you and inspire you. nextgenmen.ca, use the onboys coupon code for a discount at checkout. That is nextgenmen.ca. Go to the shop, you'll see the Next Gen Men course right there. And now, on boys. Why do those people live under a bridge? Why is their skin color different than mine? Kids ask uncomfortable questions. Rather than shushing them or giving them a quick answer, our guest today says it is an opportunity for us to first reparent ourselves. An opportunity to think about what we were taught as children, what we actually agree with now in our adult lives, and to explore what still may be left to learn and understand. Then after we've done that for ourselves, we decide what we want our children to know and believe and how we're going to communicate that to them in a consistent way. 
our guest, author of a new book, Raising Anti-Racist Children, A Practical Parenting Guide, is here to show us the way. As often happens, she's written the book she wished she had 14 years ago when she began raising her children. Welcome, Britt Hawthorne. Thank you so much, Jana. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate you. you. It's so great to have you here. You're a mom of two boys. We were talking about yes. them before, before we hit record 15 and nine. Yes. And you're an anti-racist educator and activist. And now we get to add author to your title too. I know. I'm so excited. And I you know, never in a million years would have thought I was going to write a book. And here I am you know, writing the book, like you said, the book I needed 15 years ago, the book that um, I hope will also be just as beneficial to other folks as some of the things have been really beneficial to me in my life. And so it's always, I always love hearing origin stories, you know, and, and so much it's our children who bring us to the work. For me, I was a teacher and it was all the class of boys that brought me to this work. And I'm curious, what's, what brought you into this area. So gosh, and I love that, that even that phrase origin stories, because I really do think it started when I was very young. I grew up in a race conscious household. I don't think there was a day that didn't go by that. We didn't talk about race or we didn't talk about cultural differences. Um, my dad is white. My mom is black. And so I identify as black biracial. And so just always, you know, spending Easter at my mom's side and then Easter at my dad's side. Right. And like, going to church is different though. There's like kind of all of these little bit of differences. And so growing up, we always talked about the differences and it kind of was differences are just that they're differences. Like we all get to be different and there's not a right or wrong way to do things. But then I didn't, as I got older, I actually also became a teacher and my a second generation teacher. So my mom was a teacher and followed in her footsteps and then as I got older and I then got into the field of education, I started off really being naive about the impact that a teacher can have in the sense of dismantling systemic inequities, right? And so I kind of was like, watch out world, you know, Here comes Brit. <laughs> that's right. And I am going to like close the achievement gaps. I'm going to make sure that all of the students are reading on level, like, it's just, the world has just been waiting on me. Oh. Well, and then I taught for yeah. a few years and I was like, gosh, this is not only a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be, but there's still something that's not right. And so I moved from the idea of diversity really being the goal to the idea of justice being the goal. Mm. Well, how do we actually dismantle systemic inequities, like really large inequities, whether that is um, you know, children having different access to housing structures or different access to food or different access to sleep schedules. Like, how do we, through the field of education, start to dismantle that? And so it is beautiful and we value diversity so much. And we were talking about this before we hit record, that it's one of the reasons why we chose to move to Houston, because it is so racially and ethnically diverse today. Mm -hmm. um, and yet diversity does not solve inequities right? They can right. still kind of keep persisting along. Mm -hmm. So from there, um, I started just, you know, developing and getting my feet wet and starting to understand anti-bias, anti-racism on a deeper level, bringing it into my classroom, developing the skills and the language for that. And then 
what happens, and I write about this in the opening of my book, Kobe, who was four at the time, he, I woke him up for school one day and he said, oh, um, mom, Miss Garcia told me to shut up. And I was like, you know, immediately, I just want to yeah. do that. No. All the parenting hackles get up like, oh. yeah, immediately I was like, no, but I, oh. I knew because you know how we go through the mandated reporter training mm-hmm. and in the training, they tell you right away when a child discloses information, just to take a deep breath and say, can you tell me more? Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can affirm them and say, thank you so much for telling me I'm a safe person. So instead of shutting it down and being like, well, maybe you just dreamt that overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, oh, well, can you tell me more? And he got his stuffed animal and he put it on the bed and he got into character with it. And he then whispers to a stuffed animal. He's like, Kobe, I need you to shut up. And at that point I was like, okay, she said it. It mm-hmm. happened. It's real. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting. I called a meeting and said, hey, um, Kobe disclosed this to me. Can I have some context? And she did not skip a beat or bat an eye. And she said, yes, I did. Mm. And I was shocked. I was like, what? I, because again, kind of have some naiveness of like a teacher would never, right? I mean, I guess maybe those teachers that we see that go like viral on social media, but not my child's teacher, right? Because there's like this cognitive dissonance that's happening. Mm -hmm. And then as we like unpacked it and I had asked her, I said, well, if Kobe was talking, who was he talking to? And she had said, um, Noah, this little blonde hair, blue eyed boy, it's Kobe's best friend. And he just moved back from France. And I said, well, did you tell Noah to do that too? And at that point she knew like her face showed shock and horror. And she was like, I didn't. And I said, would you ever? And she said, no, I would never. And I said, okay, that's like, this is the problem in the most concrete way. Yeah. And um, so we decided to pull our children out of school and homeschool them for a number of years. Mm. And that just allowed me to have really, because you know how busy teachers are. So that homeschooling allowed me to have the freedom to share and as like, Hey, this is how I'm raising our children to be Mm anti-bias, anti-racist kiddos. We're raising them to be empathetic, but we're Mm -hmm. also raising them to identify unfairness. And that started back in 2017. So the more I I, share, this is such good. I want to, there's like all these little things I want to unpack in what you just said, because our, you know, our listeners are all over the globe and I hear time and time again, you know, the struggles that they have with school, with the teachers and being an educator is great to have both sides. And what you said about, tell me more, you know, taking that deep breath, tell me more, and then going to the school and asking for more context, super important before you go barreling in there, as (laughs) I think probably every parent has done or has wanted to do at some point in their child's school career of just, you know, take that deep breath, ask for more, and, and then ask for more context. And, and then I also want to point out, and we'll probably talk about this more is boys, typically all boys typically are spoken to more harshly by parents and teachers, all boys starting there. Then boys of color are typically perceived to be older than they are. That's kind of 
you know, well-known studies around that. And I, I love that you asked her, you know, did you, would you say that to Noah? Wow. And her realization. So just wanted to highlight those things. So, so you pulled your kids and homeschooled them. We did. Um, Yeah. And, And at the time it felt like a very radical thing to do because I never saw myself as a homeschooler ever, right? I, be- I yeah. deeply believe in public education. I went to public school my whole life. I was like one of those people that kind of built superiority around public school is the, is the best way. It's the only way. And then to when it comes to your own, you know, on your front steps, right? Mm-hmm. Of when education in that way fails your own children, you now really have to start to be like, well, what is it? You start to pull back the layers. Well, what is it I really believe in? And then how do we actually get there? And then to what expense or what cost? Mm-hmm. And that was a conversation with my partner. You know, he, he was saying, you're going to these conferences, you're talking about anti-racism, you're talking about having emancipatory education, but look at our children. Like, are we going to like at that cost do this work and then have to wait for the teachers to catch up while mm-hmm. our children are then experiencing educational racism? And that was like a little bit of a hip check there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Hey, got to bring this home. Yeah. Bring it home. So then I was like, I guess we are, I'm a homeschooler. I guess we're homeschooling. Right. And mm-hmm. trying to navigate just all of those waters. Um, but then as we were homeschooling, which I felt pretty confident because I am a teacher mm-hmm. and I have taught the grades in which they're in, but I did homeschooling, you know, with an anti-bias, anti-racist lens. So sometimes I was still teaching them the same lessons that the other kids in public school were receiving, but it's asking them the questions like, okay, but who do you think this lesson was really for? I'll give you an example. Please do. Yeah. So Carter at the time had an assignment and this was an assignment created by um, curriculum writers for Houston Independent School District. And the assignment was, you can either choose if you are in um, Jamestown or Plymouth. And then you need to write a letter back to your cousin back, quote unquote, home in England about what life is like. And so Carter completes the assignment per the rubric, and it looks like a four out of four. But then I come back and I'm like, you know, well, let's ask some questions, Carter. At the time, he's about 12. Mm -hmm. Who do you think this assignment was created for? Or who do you think it's centering in this conversation? Like who has cousins? And I think the year was 16... It was 1620. That was the year. I said, who has cousins in England? Did our ancestors have cousins in England? You know, and like really trying to get him to develop those critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for one of the differences between uh, living in uh, Plymouth Rock and living in Jamestown was, of course, the enslaved Africans that were already uh, bought and sold and brought there for forced labor. Mm -hmm. And so human trafficking. But there was like no mention of that. So then it be, you know, questions like, I wonder what information is left out of this story Mm-mm. that's still accurate, but left out. And if we don't share that information, what ideas can we leave with? So kind of doing those same activities, but then having him like exercise that muscle to identify unfairness, mm-hmm. to identify erasure, which is rampant in education today, and then say, okay, let's write a letter to a cousin that maybe you have in West Africa. And now writing that letter to a cousin in West Africa, it's going to sound a lot different. Yes, it right? is. And I, and I remember him just starting his letter off with like, 
the other one for his cousin back in England was like, dear Jonathan, like he made up a name, mm-hmm. Edward, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And his cousin back to in West Africa was like, bro, don't uh. do it. Don't come run away. <laughs> right. And it's like completely different. Wow. Wow. I love that. And just the idea of what's left out, what aren't we thinking about? And I mean, I, I will confess, you know, I am a cisgendered white middle-class, you know, I got all the whiteness going on because that's just me. It can be challenging to think about, to, you know, hear that assignment and go, okay, wait a minute, pause, hit the pause button, get more expansive. And so I love that you're doing this work in the schools and working with educators because you and I both have been teachers and it's like, just head down. You're just like trying to get to the next thing and, and check the boxes. And, and yet there is so much that we need to recognize and, and talk about. And, and I do want to just put in here that our, you know, our natural tendency as humans is to categorize. Mm-hmm. And put things in categories because it helps us understand, oh, I'm this, I'm not that. And it comes from, you know, is this food safe to eat or is that food not safe to eat? And is this exactly. shelter going to work or not? And, and so we have that innately in us to categorize, to differentiate. Am I like you or am I not like you? How am I like you? How am I not like you? And you know, our our little kids do it all the time. And I mean, we do it naturally as humans. So, you know, thinking about really solid early childhood centers, like when we go and we tour them for our children and we're asking them, you know, like what curriculum do you use? And is lunch included? And what are the before and after care? Like when we're in the classroom and we're looking at those materials or we're watching teachers work with children in preschools, oftentimes what we see them doing is categorizing, right? We like are asking them, can you sort the shapes? Can you sort them by size or by color or by weight, right? Like we're asking them, can you separate the numbers and the letters? Like, because that's really healthy brain development is categorization. Mm-hmm. And so, and we all do that, right? Like, and so I really appreciate, and I kind of want to just drive home the goal is it not, not to categorize that would make a very hard life for us all. Like even when I make my grocery list, I don't know about you, but for me, I like write produce, meats, dry goods. Cause I, then it helps me as I'm walking through the grocery mm-hmm. store, right. I can be like, okay, I'm in this aisle. I need to pick up the tortilla chips. I got to pick up the popcorn versus it just being really random. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that is, I just kind of want, cause sometimes people are like, oh, the golden is it's not to categorize or it's not to notice differences when in fact, it's how do we embrace differences? How do we embrace people and the human diversity that naturally exists? Exactly. That's yeah. We're on, we're on the same page with that of just recognizing mm-hmm. that it's natural to do that and okay, let's, let's break it open and let's be inclusive and yes. the, you know, the tomatoes and the apples, they're all there together and that's Okay recognizing our own biases in that too. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And 
I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easy melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. This topic for many is, you know, we hear the words and we think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I think I've got a handle on this. But when it comes to like, I, I love that question at the beginning, why do those people live under a bridge is from, from your website. I thought, you know, that those are the kind of questions that we as parents can be blindsided with, you know, we're crazy busy day and our child asks us a profound question that is so, there's so much humanity in there that we would love to maybe address. And it's those, you know, but dinner is burning on the stove meanwhile. So, and, and I'm thinking your book is going to be able to help us bring in the conversations into the flow of the day, the busy day and help us be ready when those questions come to us with answers that we, that we've thought about that come from our heart that we really do care about and want to convey to our children. Yes. Yeah. The book is full of, so it's, they actually are making it into a workbook because I don't think that the publisher exactly understood my idea when I first pitched it. And now that the book is completed, they're like, oh, wow. So every single section throughout the book, but also at the end of the section, you might find scripts, you might find prompts, you might find um, places for you to doodle and the book for you to practice. Like, you know, cause that happened to me when we had first moved, I'm originally from Illinois. And so while we did in our city, we absolutely had folks who were experiencing homelessness and were unhoused. It's not at all like living in a big metro city, right? And mm-hmm. so moving to Houston, Carter, um, I want to say he was about 10 years old and I'm driving, right? Just trying to get from A to B in mm-hmm. a new city, figure it out. And he had said, mom, why do those people live underneath the bridge? Again, it was like kind of one of those like, oh. <gasps> it almost kind of takes your breath away. Mm -hmm. And I knew because I had practiced this work enough. I knew like whenever that feeling, that discomfort shows up, I do something right away. First, I ask myself, am I unsafe or am I uncomfortable? And if I'm unsafe, then leave, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just, you got to get out. You got to get out of Dodge. But if you're uncomfortable, you stay and you lean into it. And that's important because I, I grew up being a people pleaser and just like trying to have this like faux harmony, but our body will code it the same. And so it's my, you know, my body's like, I got brain fog. And then I kind of turned it back on him. And I said, well, why do you think they are living underneath the bridge? So that's like a, just super easy right away. It's like, oh, why do you think it? Or, you know, tell me more. And he 
didn't miss a beat. And he said, well, they must just not have money for a house. And I said, okay, yep, that's probably true. Mm -hmm. And Kobe was a lot younger. Our children are five years apart. And so Kobe was like, we can go, we were going to the laundromat a lot. And so we had a bag of quarters. He's like, we can give them our bag of quarters. Super developmentally appropriate response, right? Just not really mm -hmm. a context of how much housing costs. Um, and then I was able to respond there because in anti-racism, we always try to blame systems and not people. Mm. Again, very different than how I grew up. Mm -hmm. I grew up and my parents absolutely would have said something that blamed them about just not having a work ethic or trying hard enough, or, you know, you just mm -hmm. got to get out there something. Mm -hmm. In anti-racism, it's, well, you know what, Carter, in Houston, I'm pretty sure they don't mandate a livable wage. So it's hard to be able to afford housing when we don't have a livable wage. We also can talk about, you know what, in Houston, we do not invest enough in affordable housing. So people have to make tough decisions. Right? And depending on like how much later on, that's been a conversation that is kind of, we've grown with that conversation mm. with our children to be more expansive of not only talking about women, talking about folks who are, um, you know, working through and trying to survive domestic violence. We talk about folks who um, are struggling with substance abuse. We talk about mental health, mm. right? But like in the very beginning, it's just simple as, we have some breakdowns in our systems mm -hmm. that we can fix. And then when we do that, it makes it so much easier to move into activism, right? Because if I just person blame and I say, well, people just need to work harder, that just yeah. allows all the responsibility just to like wash. Not only I get to wash my hands of the responsibility, then I get to also feel really good about me too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But if I say, gosh, you know what, as a citizen of Houston, we don't invest enough in affordable housing. That means that then I have to be like, well, what kind of policies am I voting for? Who am I voting for? Can we go home and maybe write a letter to the mayor or say something at the local city council meeting? Like that means that now I am a neighbor in a community and I am also responsible of it. What a lesson for our kids. And it's a stretch for us as parents because we weren't raised this way. As you exactly. said, you know, the people blaming rather than the systems. Our challenge is to, as it is in so many things that Jen and I talk about on the podcast, you know, we have to have these conversations with our kids and it's hard because we're learning it right along with them. I didn't hear the word anti-racist. I didn't hear anti-bias. This was not in my, in my world at all. And Dang. so we're at this crossroads and we're, we're working so hard to, to bring in inclusion and diversity and be okay with all of it. And it is, it's super challenging. And I, I do want to actually say, this is my, you know, I'm still learning as I was looking through your information and your website, and you talked about people of the global majority. And I have to say, Britt, I'd never heard that term before. Um, and I give credit to Dr. Barbara J. Love. She certainly is the person that I know, this, the first person I know that talked about people of the global majority. And instead of using the term either BIPOC, which um, a lot of folks will use, meaning Black, Indigenous, people of color, or even POC, meaning people of color. Mm -hmm. And once I heard that, I heard that in a conference I went to, I have just hung on to that word for a number of reasons. One, because I'm always having my educator lens on, 
And assignments like the one I mentioned earlier, there's so much centering of whiteness. It's at this point, oftentimes it's so hard to notice it. And so people of the global majority allows us to recenter and also live in reality of, gosh, when we think about it, how many folks, when we think of the entire world, are indigenous, are Afro-Latine or Latinx, are Pacific Islanders, Native Hawaiians, um, Alaska Natives, Native Americans, Arabs, Western Asians, Middle Easterns, North Africans, Southeast Asians, South Asians, East Asians, Africans with dark skin, multiracial, biracial folks. And I know in there, and I did not mean to erase any, any group of people, but I know even within that, I've erased some groups of people that are not represented in that definition. But then you start to be like, wow, there really are more people with brown and black skin. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty small people. as the white folk over here. It's but amazing that, to think about. I think you said 80% yes. of the world's population. Yes, and that's really, and I'm being very, very generous very generous to say that 20% of the, the population is white. I mean, it's hard to categorize, mm -hmm. but when we mm -hmm. start to think about how many predominantly black and brown countries exist in the world, but then when we turn on the television and we put on a TV show for our children, or we purchase a book for our children, mm -hmm. you know, any type of uh, kind of mainstream media, we all will consume and draw the inaccurate conclusion. Well, white people are just the majority. And they're not. So then, then it also becomes this conversation about how are we helping our children live in reality, right? And having that more accurate, truthful messages. Mm -hmm. And then there's so much fun work that we can do. I think it's fun that we can do like around, well, what would be in reality for here? So in Houston, like we would absolutely look up what are the demographics in Houston. Mm -hmm. And then when then we look at schools, okay, our schools should really reflect those racial and ethnic demographics or gender demographics, right? But then when we look at school demographics, our schools are oftentimes segregated. Yeah, and I mean, you're in a huge city of Houston and uh, and then I'm, I know if Jen were here, she'd be saying, I live in rural Wisconsin. And, you know, then you look at that population ratios and there, there are probably, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, you know, probably more white people than people of color in her community. Portland, where I live, is a little is a little more diverse, but there's still the separation. I don't know if you felt it when you were there, but I live in a very mixed neighborhood, very gentrified neighborhood. It was the old, the historical Black center of Portland, and it was thriving until they decided to put in a freeway and build a hospital and take people's housing and split the community, this vibrant, vibrant community. And just, at, I mean, it died because people had to go find housing elsewhere. Their homes were bought at way below market value. And um, yeah, Portland has a, a very sordid history of, of their relationships with people of color. And it's, it's still evident today. I would say that's even a really, that's a, that's a very important pattern that you're naming that we can even work with our children. So here in Houston, you're probably familiar with um, I-45 or they are in the middle of doing an expansion of I-45, same exact pattern. And it's interesting, the marketing, right? It's this 
beautiful, wonderful expansion that's going to bring all of this um, connection to Houston. And it's always, almost always at the expense of particularly black neighborhoods mm -hmm. where they will put a highway right, you know, through the middle of it um, and it breaks up. And so even though um, we just celebrated uh, the anniversary a couple years ago of the Tulsa massacre, right? And that one was absolutely, it was just physical violent massacre genocide for Tulsa. Mm -hmm. But also when we think about when we are splitting up communities and neighborhoods and families, when we are depreciating home values, right? That's like another form when we think about why do we still have such a pay inequity that exists today? Mm -hmm. Oh, and then that's like a whole another conversation I think about is pay and equity and working with my boys and them understanding because they are black, but they are also cisgender boys, mm -hmm. right? So it's in one aspect, absolutely. You experience discrimination on an interpersonal level and on an institutional level. And at another point, you can also have a lot of privilege like around pay equity. Mm -hmm. So having conversations with them and like always trying to have them balance and live in that gray area of it can be an and not an either or it's not that I am a privileged person or an oppressed person it's I can use my privilege in order like how do I leverage that for justice mm -hmm. but then also whenever I'm experiencing discrimination how am I aware that I'm experiencing discrimination and then have the language to say what's happening to me right now is not fair yeah so talk about that language. What is the language around that? I mean, and we know for our boys that language is not exactly, you know, flowing from some of them. And we're, we're just working to get them to describe their emotions. And, yes. and how do we, how do we bring this new language to them? How do we, I mean, for all of us, how do we call out when we see inequities, it's really hard for some of us to rock the boat and mm. to speak, speak to a teacher if you're a student and, you know, come back to that teacher and say, you know, that didn't really sound quite right. So there's the power differential, right, that we have. Yes. How do we encourage and teach our children to be, to self-advocate? When I was teaching, I had a seven-year-old boy who really showed me the way. Long story short, I was doing read aloud. And you know, when you do read aloud with a group of students, the expectation is that you only say something if I ask a question and then you raise your hand. Well, I had a boy who kept, he was so excited about this book we were reading about fishing because he just recently came back from a fishing trip with his dad. He was really excited about it. And he kept jumping up out of his you know, seat and just like, oh, I did that. I remember that. And I then kept telling him, hey, you remember think it in your head, raise your hand, all of that kind of redirection. And then finally I said, you know what, if it happens again, you're going to have to go back to your work spot and finish work. And you can read the book on your own after we're done. Well, I did not realize, cause it was unconscious to me that there was a girl that was doing something very similar. And when she was doing it, I would say, oh, I really appreciate that you're listening to the story. Thank you for paying attention. You're making strong connections. And so he finally was like, this isn't fair. You're treating her differently, right? You always pick on me. You always pick on the boys. And again, you know, just immediately I wanted to be like, no, that's not true. But I said, well, let me ask 
this group of second graders because who is more honest than yeah, seven year second grade. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like they will tell you about <laughs> how you look and how your breath smells and everything else. They will let you know. And I said, you know, so I asked, I said, do I do that? And everyone nodded their head. Yes. But again, you know, I had picked up ideas about boys, about their behavior, about what is acceptable and unacceptable. And then what was my role as a teacher to quote curb kind of that behavior, right? I wanted the boys to sit quietly and, yep. you know, have this more compliance at the same time. This, this is what is like the mixed message at the same time that oftentimes when our girls will do that, it's like, we want them to be more loud and rambunctious and speak up and advocate, right? Like talk about getting completely, complete mixed messages at seven years old. So what I realized from then, and I ended up telling the child, like, thank you so much. You saw something in me that wasn't okay, but I can change it. And then I asked him, I said, will you help me? Will you remind me every time? You know, and then he got really excited because I built a connection. I affirmed what he said. I said, thank you. But then to your point, I also had to give him language. Like these are ways that you can, because that was definitely, it was like an outburst. And I think that if he had another teacher, it just, it would have been like in the hallway now. Yeah, That was disrespectful, Mm -hmm. but I could see how absolutely upset. And when we all get there, right, there's no coming down. There's like you, we've, we've hit it. It's like a volcano. Yeah. And it's like injustice and It's simmering and then we just erupt. And so I let them know from there, you know, here are three ways that you can hold me accountable. You can raise your hand. You could say at the time I was Miss Pascal, Miss Pascal, I challenge you. I said, you can do that. And then we practice it when, when life is easy going, we're practicing. And at homes, I tell my children, you can challenge me. You can say, mom, I challenge you. Mm. I don't think that's right. Mm. Right. And then we can like talk about it. Mm -hmm. You can name where the feeling is showing up. Because to your point, sometimes it feels even scary, just giving your emotions names. Mm -hmm. So I will ask my children, you know, well, where is it showing up in your belly, in your chest, your hands, right? Like, are they sweaty? Is your heart beating? Is your throat dry? And I just let them take their hand and kind of put it over that sometimes because we feel that injustice in our body first. So that's something else you can do. You can say, just rub the area and say, Hey, Hey, it's showing up right here. Okay. All right. Let's take some deep breaths. And then I can like ask them and kind of coach them through. Are you feeling frustrated? Right. Are you feeling unheard? Mm -hmm. Are you feeling sad? And then once they can kind of start to name that and they can just either nod their head or shake their head. And then it's like, and who do you think you're feeling that towards? Is it me? Is it daddy? Is it your brother? Right. And then like slowly kind of like walk them through that. And then at the end, it's like, we put it all together. I am feeling really frustrated with you, mom, because X, Y, and Z. Okay. I'm so glad that you shared that with me. And then the third one that you can just use with your children is always like, that's unfair. So when children are younger, I would say six and under, I typically just use the term fair and unfair. Mm -hmm. They know it. And we describe unfair being that a person is being mistreated because of who they are. Or we describe unfair meaning that a person isn't getting their needs met because of who they are. Mm. That's very different than when somebody's being like rude or mean. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes home and and they're like, uh, JC was being so rude today. And I'm like, oh, why? 
she, you know, was budging people or she wasn't sharing the kickball. Gosh, that was really rude. That's different than like Jesus being unfair today. Oh, why? She said none of the boys could play monster tag on the, in the, on the playground. Ooh, that is unfair. She is mistreating a group of people differently because of who they are. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. JC's being rude. It's like, Hey, you're having a bad day. Or you can tell a teacher, you can let it go. Like there's all these individual ways that you can handle it or not. Mm -hmm. But if something is unfair, that's where we say, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that this is fair? Can we create a rule? Like anyone can play monster tag. Mm-hmm. Who can we get involved? Can we tell your teacher about it? And your teacher can reaffirm the rule. All of that is really big pre-work for what we need to do as adults. It's like, how do we learn how to collectivize and figure out is something being unfair? And if so, how do we make a policy that will change that and ensure that justice will exist? And it goes back to what you said about focusing on the systems rather than the people. Mm-hmm. And, and bringing in what you can do around that. I want to dive into your book a little bit because you've got such good information there. I, I, I haven't seen the book, but I've seen the overview and um, it's, it's just going to be a really great addition to our work in this field for parents and educators. In your book, in this practical parenting guide, you include talking about healthy bodies, establishing a safe and body positive home environment to, and you say to combat stereotypes, to create boundaries. Talk about that. Yeah. So in healthy bodies, I think it's really important, especially for our boys that we are giving them language for their, for their bodies. We are giving them language um, about how do they feel good around their body in a healthy, holistic way and not in a dominating or superior way right? Our boys are getting so many messages from media about what is the quote unquote right body. Mm -hmm. And that not only goes with physically how their body looks, but it's also about their gender identity. It's also about their sexuality. It's also about their mannerisms, right? It's about their tone of voice and wanting to have a deep voice. And so healthy bodies is really giving us the tools and the scripts and the language of like, how do we, when our children encounter at, at Target or at the drugstore, and they see that message of like um, a deodorant and it's a guy and he doesn't have a shirt on and he's holding six pack abs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like holding it. And then how do we then, and just in that moment say, Hey, I'm noticing this. Is this an accurate message? Or I wonder what part of his body was Photoshopped, like just going yeah. in right away and being really direct and clear, not I wonder if his body, we know his body is Photoshopped. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what part of his body is Photoshopped. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I wonder if he already has gray hair. This was interesting. We were at a store and I had to buy a bra and we were all together. So my husband, two children and me, and I said, Hey, I'm going to, I got to buy a bra. Come with me. Cause I also, I grew up like, you know, there's okay sections for boys and okay sections for girls. Right. And those don't kind of cross. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we wear broad offers a support. It's a piece of cotton, get over it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So we're in it. And Kobe, I think he was maybe about eight years old. And I noticed he was looking at that advertisement of uh, people who are wearing bras and someone that was in the advertisement, I would say is probably in their sixties, maybe seventies. And Kobe said, huh? I wonder why, how did he say it? Something like, I wonder why they picked her. 
And I looked and then I looked at Kobe and then he just immediately was like, never mind, never mind. And I was like, no. And I was like, you can invite me in your thinking. Mm -hmm. I wonder why they picked her. And I said, and I wonder why you notice that she's different. And he said, I've just never seen a grandma and a bra commercial, like a bra advertisement. I said, well, do grandmas wear bras? And, you know, he's like, I think maybe I don't really know. Kind <laughs> do of I want to think about that? Maybe not. Yeah, but and, I'm okay. like, hmm. <laughs> and I told him, I said, well, some people who have larger breasts wear bras and why do we wear bras? And he said, oh yeah, for support and protection. I said, yeah, some people do. And don't you think they come to this store and purchase a bra? And he's like, yeah. I said, do they have the right to see themselves being advertised? Yeah. Okay. I was like, now help me. And I like told him my bra size. I was like, now help me find a bra. <laughs> right. <I love> it. <laughs> so, but they're always getting this, these messages about who quote unquote is right to be seen, to be valued, to be respected, mm-hmm. to be displayed. And so in those moments, like we just call it out. I call out every time, especially with boys. I think they were getting better with girls, but Um, but with boys, I hardly ever see wrinkles nowadays, Mm. you know, and even the gray hair, it's like this very kind of salt and pepper. My partner is a barber. And so my partner will say, that's a dye job. Uh That is not like, that's Uh a really great colorist who put that salt and pepper hair on a 20 year old Uh trying to make them look like they're 45. But being able to name that and say like, Mm. this is not an honest representation all bodies, men included, have cellulite and have wrinkles mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. fine lines and gray hair grows wonky. Mm-hmm. And like it happens. So that's that's a really big focus for healthy bodies. Radical minds. I love that. Radical minds. We want our kids to be agents of change. We want, as we were talking earlier, you know, this is the generation that I I do believe our kids are way more progressive than, than their parents. They're way more open to non-binary and inclusivity way more. How do we keep fostering that coming from that place of we're not so good at this as the parents? I agree. Uh, And I, you know, it's so interesting when I'm seeing the banning of books and all of this work that's really being led by parents to your point. And it's not being led by learners at all that are saying, Hey, whoa, this is too much. It's making me uncomfortable. Instead. I mean, it's kind of like, sometimes I just have to remind myself, like get out of the way and just allow our children to step up in their power because for the most part, they are really, really progressive. And I think for radical minds, like one way that I try to both kind of hop in and hop out is offering them liberating language. And so we've talked about the difference like between being fair and unfair or justice and rude. I think liberating language is also really important. And I was listening to your episode about um, talking with tweens about sex, Mm -hmm. Amy Lang and Amy Lang said it so well in that episode of when they get older, especially in the tweens. And I think of tweens of like nine, 10, 11, Mm -hmm. it's, you can be really honest and direct with them with language. We don't have to worry about sugarcoating the information. And oftentimes that only holds our children back, Mm -hmm. right? When they're younger, having that really simple language, responding with curiosity and making sure we're not creating a home environment of shame. I think that's really big, especially for folks who are white and listening. Mm -hmm. The goal isn't to try to shame 
you know, racist ideas or beliefs out of our children. The goal is to like hear it and acknowledge it. And then just say like, Ooh, I wonder where you picked that up. And then I'll work with you to put that back down. Mm -hmm. Right. And then just like reminding them of our values. Hey, I just want to remind you, we believe in inclusion. That sounds like exclusion. What do you think? Right. And like being able just to say that, hey, we believe in diversity and we honor and we know that people have the right to be different. And some people are born different and some people choose to be different. And both are right. Like, do you believe that? Because sometimes our kids will just say stuff. They're like repeating something that sounded really good that another friend said it. And then they come home and they repeat it being like, watch, I'm going to impress, you know, my mom or my dad. And it, the opposite happened. We got shocked. We were like, what? in the world right. is happening. And they, I mean, developmentally, they're trying out different ideas yeah. and, and that's good. And so having those conversations with them and being curious, always being curious, yes. what, what do you, you know, what do you really believe about that? And you talk, you also talk about conscious shopping. Conscious shopping is so important, especially when you live in a society and like the United States, we're primarily a capitalist society. Right. And so every time we're making a purchase, we're aligning ourselves, we're aligning our values with our actions. And so conscious shopping in our household is like making sure we make a commitment, an expectation. We are going to um, support black owned businesses. We're going to support LGBTQ owned businesses. We have a favorite donut shop here in Houston. And it's about, I would say 10 to 12 minutes away from our house. But then we also have a voodoo donut right here on the corner. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's so close. We could really walk to it if we wanted to. And so then it becomes a conversation like, well, they're both LGBTQ owned business, but one is a local business. Right. So then we kind of like turn up the heat a little bit. Do we have the time on Sunday to to drive 10 minutes, like listen to two songs we do. Mm -hmm. And so I know you want voodoo donuts, but I really want to support our community. And so having the real kind of clear language, conscious consumption, also comes into play thinking about um, books in our home or anything that we're purchasing. And I always think of purchasing as an individual use versus a collective use. So oftentimes when I purchase books, it's my children will read that book one time and they're done, mm-hmm. right? Maybe we have some children's books that we keep going back to and they bring us warm and fuzzy feelings. But once your children are into chapter books, the goal is to finish the book and get to the next one, right? Like they're all about that rapid reading. And so then it becomes, gosh, I'm noticing we're spending a lot of our resources on individual purchases that only benefit you. I wonder if we can support a uh, lending library. I wonder if we can go to the public library and then we can share books with each other, like with our neighbors, right? I wonder if like, if we're at the bookstore and my child is like, but I have to have it. I have to have this copy. And, you know, and it's beautiful and the spine hasn't been broken yet. (laughs) And it's, well, what's your expectation when you're done with it? What are you going to do with it? Oh, we can donate it here. I can share it. I can ask my teacher if she wants the copy. I can ask the school librarian. Okay. Already. That sounds like it will be, it will benefit more than just you. Mm. We can go with that. But if it's just going to end up underneath, you know, his bed, and a year later, I find it and the cover's now tattered off. And this isn't something I'm proud to share and redistribute. It's like, maybe this isn't a great purchase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Just really taking, taking that into account. 
when you're spending dollars and, and also, you know, uh, Amazon, like we got to think about Amazon and support your independent booksellers, support your local business people. And yep, it's certainly easy to get online and shop at Amazon, but yes. it's, you know, we do need to support our community and grow our community so that they can thrive. I love that you said your book is a workbook because I am, I read with a pen in my hand always, always. So man, given permission to write in a book. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What is the biggest thing that you, that you hope parents will take away from this new book that you've written? That's such a good question. The biggest thing is that every child deserves the right to become anti-racist. Every single child deserves that right. Because anti-racism at its core means how do I work for justice, which children are already naturally, right? Are justice centered, right versus wrong. And they want justice prevail. They Even when they watch TV shows, if you have a child who's like six or seven, oftentimes they'll come halfway through a movie and they're like, who's the good guy? Because they want to align themselves with that, right? They want goodness to prevail. And so an anti-racism also allows us to live into our fullest potential. It allows me to say, gosh, these prejudices that I have picked up are only holding me back. So how do I work to put that down so that I can be in community uh, with really wonderful people? How can I build intentional community? So I think that's my biggest takeaway is that this book and anti-racism, it doesn't belong to one person or a group of people. It belongs to all of us. And our children deserve that right to engage in anti-racism. So where can our listeners find you? Yes. If you kind of want to catch me when you catch me, I say, follow me, read along on Instagram at Britt Hawthorne. If you're like, wow, Britt, I think that I need some more intentional structured strategies you can subscribe to my newsletter. I will only email you once a week because that's all I can handle in my life. And it's a weekend newsletter and you can find that on my website, BrittHawthorne.com. And I will say that you have also a course for parents there and that you work with educators across the country and what a, what a wonderful resource you are. And I wish you all the best with your book out June 7th. Look for that. Go to your independent bookseller and find yes. it. And then when you're finished with it, share it with a, share it with a friend. Buy a copy for your child's teacher. Because that would be wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and check out your local library. If they haven't already um, have it in stock, you can request it too. Awesome idea. Yeah. Okay, listeners. Yeah, you know what to do. Get get out there and get that book. So Britt, thank you so much for being here. I loved our conversation and uh, wish you all the best with your new book. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My, my heart is completely warmed by this conversation. So thanks. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and learned some new things. Be sure to purchase her book. It's going to be a great one. And Think about next-gen men. That's also a way that you can tap into this new knowledge, new ways of thinking. Nextgenmen.ca, use the OnBoys discount code. And you know, you've heard me say it before, my first email I open every Monday morning is from our co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink, Building Boys Bulletin. 
an absolute treasure trove of the latest articles, videos, links. She's got it all there. She's combed and curated the information so that you don't have to. Buildingboys.net, click the subscribe button and you'll be getting that same email every Monday. Thank you for being our listeners. If you found value in this podcast, please share it with a friend and share this one especially with your school. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and I am Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thank you for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.